today, it would be Jesus Demolition Man. Jesus Demolition Man. I, um, I have up in my office a robe. It's a, it's a preaching robe, you know. You put it on and you zip it up and it covers up everything and you preach it. I've used it, I think, once or twice in my life. I thought about putting it on today when I came down here to preach, but that was too much work. You'll just have to put it in your head uh, that I've got one up there that I can put on and I've, uh, it's available to me. It's hanging on a hook and it'll probably hang on the hook for quite a while longer. But the point of what I'm trying to say to you is this. We, we have seen those days in the church's life when preachers wore those preaching robes or maybe it, it was more of a liturgical robe, something that covered up. And there was a point to that in the day. And the point uh, of it in the day was to make the preacher as plain, as unwhatever as possible. But what you'd come to find out if you were to undo the clerical cloth, if you'd take away the robe, usually what you saw was people who uh, looked just like you. <laughs> they dressed uh, back in the day when folks came to church wearing suits and ties, aside from the jacket, they'd be wearing that. This day and age when people are doing a variety of things with regards to wardrobe, you'd find that they look just like you. And I hope today when you look at me, you think, well, he does kind of look just like us because I'll give you a secret. I am just like you. Um, over in the hospital when I was in there, uh, my one grandson came to see me, but then my granddaughter, the only granddaughter, Emma, called me one night. And Emma says, Grandpa, what's wrong with you? Why are you in the hospital? And I said, well, honey, I'm sick. I got something going on. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, there's something. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, it's inside. You can't really see it. And then she said, you going to bring me cookies? <laughs> You can't see that I've got something going on inside of me, Emma. And she really showed her cards, didn't she? Uh, for about four or five questions, she was concerned. But then the Oreos became a reality. Today's message is about that kind of thing. It's about the reality uh, of who we are and what we are in the eyes of God and who we know we are and who we try to tell the world that we are. When you see the words that are on the screen this morning, Jesus, you probably don't think of him as a demolition person. But I want to assure you in the scripture you read this morning, Jesus was tearing things down. Jesus was wiping things out. He was pulling down structures and powers and authorities, and he was setting up a whole new way of doing business. We call it the kingdom of God. Let's go through this passage one more time, a few verses at a time. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. You need to know that if you were to read this in the other Gospels, it's a little bit different. And we're not really sure if there was two times that this took place or if John has just lifted it up and placed it where he wanted it for his gospel chronologically so it, it fit into a different place that he wanted to fit. It really doesn't matter, but you need to know that even though you've studied this in Sunday school a number of times, you've heard plenty of sermons on it, the reality is that John's done something with it different. I want you to w ask yourself the question, why were cattle and doves and pigeons 
up for sale uh, near the temple grounds. And it was to help the travelers. You need to understand that, that people came from all over. It was required uh, for this particular feast that all Jewish men would come. And they came from great distances and to haul along you know, birds and, and, and cattle for the offerings and stuff was a bit of a challenge. And so they were allowed to sell them outside of the temple. The problem was uh, what the chief priests and the priests of that day had allowed to happen in that process. The money changers were sitting there, and believe me, they were not just changing money, they were making money. And Jesus, it says, made a whip of cords, and he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the auction and he poured out the coins of the money changers he overturned their tables and he told those who sold the pigeons take these things away don't make my father's house a house of trade now you read that and it's three verses three sentences and you think ah yeah so what i want you to get it in your head we've lost much because of movies and television and screens and all that stuff the ability to think in our head in a way that can visualize what's going visualize what's going on here i want you to see the confusion the confusion that jesus's actions would have precipitated he takes the temple or rather the tables where the money changers are sitting and he flips them upside down and there's these folks sitting there, the money changers. Their money is now on the ground. You've got cattle. You've got sheep. You've got all these things. This was not a clean floor that they were dealing with. This was a farm floor for all intents and purposes. And now all the coins are down in that slop. So the money changers are screaming and yelling, and they've jumped down. And some priests probably came along, and with their authority, they're telling Jesus, hey, We've got a problem here. Stop what you're doing. And then you got to think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is my father's house. All at once, everybody's going to say, what are you talking about? This is the Jewish, your father's house. But it tells you a little bit about how Jesus felt about it. He saw that temple as a place of worship. He did see it as his father's house. And it says that his disciples remembered a scripture. And I'm going to go back to this a number of times, but, but for right now, I'm just going to tell you what that scripture was. It was Psalm 69 in verse 9. It, actually, that whole Psalm 69 they were thinking of, we'll talk about that in a minute. But for right now, I just want you to hear how that verse uh, fits into what's going on in John's gospel. You'll see there that it says the disciples remembered that it was written, quote, Zeal for your house will consume me. Well, Psalm 69 says this. Zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The disciples said, huh, this is kind of like that psalm. John continues on, and the Jews say, say to Jesus, what sign would you show us for doing these things that you're doing? Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And the Jews said, it's taken us 40 years to build this temple. And you need to know it's not in the text, but really what they're saying is, it's taken 46 years to get to this place. We're not done building it yet. It's still in process. And you are going to raise it up in three days? Now John gives us a hint in the 21st verse, and it's up on the screen. 
it says he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now John knows that because John's writing post-Easter. He's writing after the resurrection. As he's experiencing it, and as his other disciples are experiencing this, I don't think John would have known to put that line into this text. The or rather, the, the Jews said to him, what sign are you going to show us? Have you ever noticed that the Jews are always looking for a sign? They're always asking Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the gospel writers all have something to say about Show us a sign, Jesus. Show us a sign, Jesus. Show us a sign, Jesus. And this is curious. In this particular instance, all of the gospel writers agree on what Jesus said here. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. What's going on in this passage? Well, let's go to the very last verse. When Jesus, therefore, had, ri had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Did you catch what? That's just what I just told you in the last verse. They didn't understand until the resurrection took place. There were a whole lot of things in their experience with Jesus that worked that way. Where after the resurrection, they looked back and they said, holy cow, do you remember when Jesus said and they'd fill in the blank. So, so John's telling us here that after the resurrection, the disciples remembered that he had said this. And now they believed the scripture. And now they believed the words that he had spoken. Let me ask you something. Do you live your life with the end in view? Do you, do you live your life saying, Here's where I am today, and here's where I want to be in the future. I don't know that all of us do. Jesus did. When an architect puts out the plans for a building, he has laid out the drawings. He said, here's how this will look. This is what it will be like. It will be made of these materials, and the building will have this electricity, this water, all those things, because the architect begins with the end in view. I'm not sure that I live my life all the time with the end in view. I tend to, but you don't need to know how that works for me. It's just not that way. But what I do want you to see this morning is that Jesus seemed to live with the end in view. Resurrection didn't surprise Jesus. He said things, and I'm going I'm to give you... A, these verses, all of which are in the Gospel of John, and I probably won't read them all to you. But I want you to hear them recognizing the idea that Jesus is living with the end in view. Listen to what he said. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. They, they, they lifted up that serpent back there in the wilderness story, and, and it was the sin and Jesus also must be lifted up. Jesus spoke that as if he knew that when you get out to the 18th, 19th chapter of John, about, three year, about two years from when he said it, he's going to be hanging on a cross. Jesus said this, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. 
and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, he said that before anybody was talking about a crucifixion. It seems to be that Jesus is living uh, with the end in view. He sat down the night before he was betrayed. He's having uh, supper with his disciples, and he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus knew what was about to take place. He was consciously aware of how the story was going to wind up. And it wasn't pretty. It involved a beating. It involved a false trial. It involved being crucified, beaten with a whip. And Jesus lived, if you would, into the end of that story. Which leads me to ask the question, what were the disciples thinking when they said, huh, this looks like Psalm 69. The zeal, the zeal. What was it that Jesus was intent upon doing? What was it that held Jesus's attention? I'm going to skip over part of my message and just get right to the point for a minute. Jesus wasn't convicted or, or concerned with the temple. Jesus was concerned with, his primary concern was his father, and that was God. The tragedy here, what did he say? He said, you have made my father's house. In the King James, we say a den of thieves. But you've turned God's house and who God is into something that serves your own purposes. You wouldn't have found in the temple of Jesus' day the God that Jesus knew. All the priests, all the religious folks, the ones who looked and played the part you know what they were concerned about? Are you bringing me cookies? <laughs> That's what they were concerned about. What's in this for me? Jesus knew what was in it for him. It involved a cross and an ugly death. And he began to deconstruct. He began to tear down. He began to demolish when he flipped those tables over. Because what Jesus was tearing down, folks, or what he was exposing, maybe, was the spiritual condition of the people who said they identified with his father. Their religion, their belief system, had become a dull routine. They had nothing in mind except for two things. How can I get more money out of this, get rich? And secondly, how can I maintain this power for the longest amount of time? We kind of, I didn't give you the context of today's scripture, but y you know that this is Jesus in the temple turning over the tables. And you ask yourself the question, well, what was going on just before this? So if you go and look in the Gospels, what you find is what's going on is Jesus goes to that wedding in Cana of Galilee, Right? And there's a big celebration, and everything looks great, right? 
But there's a secret that the, 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 the wedding, the, the master of the feast would have never wanted anybody to know. They'd run out of wine, right? They'd run out of wine. That's what they kept, the master of the feast wanted kept hidden under the robe. Jesus comes along and he says, hey, it's not my time, but I can help you out. Get me some water. And here in this passage, the robes are covering up all the ugliness of what's going on in the temple grounds. You see, they had not just run out of wine at the wedding feast. They had run out of the glory of God in their worship. They had run out of the real reason that they were at the temple in the first place. Jesus' zeal was not for this building. Jesus' zeal was for his Father. I, I, I read this to you a minute ago. It's Psalm 69.9. But I'm going to read it to you again because the disciples said, this, this reminds me of Psalm 69. The zeal of your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. I, I just said to you that the glory of God has departed the house of God. But I want to tell you, God always leaves a remnant. You know that? He always leaves. If you were to go look at the birth of Jesus, you'll remember that there was a, a man there whose name uh, was Simeon. Simeon was devoted to God. There was Anna, the prophetess. She was devoted to God. And if you, if you can't remember them, all you got to do is get to the gospel writers telling of John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist was still all about God but most of those who put on the clothing who resided on the temple grounds who were doing their thing they were false shepherds they were empty bottles empty jars they were like whited sepulchers outwardly beautiful but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones and Jesus was about to expose that. Jesus is about to tear it down. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 40, as Jesus hung upon the cross, you know what the crowd said to him? You who said you'd destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You're the son of God come down from the cross. What did they do? They used his very words, right? They used his very words against him. You who said you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. I want you to go back and I want you to, to, to remember um, that when he was put on trial, the chief priests and the whole council, they sought false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. They found the none, though many false witnesses came forward. And at last, two people came forward and they said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. You, you see what they did? They used the very words that Jesus spoke. They made them suspect. And there's a truth that I think we all need to see. And you don't need to look at this, this um, 
this passage I'm putting up here, I just want to try to find the thought that I want to give to you, and I can't seem to find it. And the thought is simply this. The spiritual truth that Jesus saw was not what the religious leaders saw. The inward truth of what was happening. Jesus saw for what it was, and he decided to tear that all down. Do you remember when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus one day and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John saw a spiritual truth that the religious leaders of Jesus' day could not see. All they could see was what they saw outwardly, what they presented, what they wanted the people to see. When John the Baptist looked, he saw a sacrificial lamb in Jesus. He saw someone that was going to die for the sins of the world. The, the, the lamb that would be our substitute, that would stand in our stead, that would take our sin and carry it in our place. That's the reason Paul would later write these words, which I do put on the screen. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was tearing down the law that said you had to perform, and he was setting up his grace which says, I love you so much, I'm willing to die in your stead. No, you don't deserve it, but I love you anyway. No, you aren't worthy of it, and you never will be, but I love you anyway. And what that grace, when he tore down the structure of the temple, the, the law, all the do's and the don'ts and the these and the those, what really was sitting at the heart of what Jesus wanted everyone to see was that God loves us no matter what. No matter what. Jesus came to destroy what was and to put in place who he is. That robe that I told you I've got, that, that robe that can kind of cover up what I'm looking like. I... I I didn't tell you this, but I'll tell you right now, and then I'll get to my final, to my bottom line. One time, I had to go to the church to perform a wedding. And it wasn't here, it was elsewhere. And I kept that robe on a hanger, never wore it. And the neighbor kids and I, Wendy and Stephanie, you don't know them. I'm still friends with them. You know, when you're in your late 20s and early 30s, you do really dumb stuff. These kids were like 13, 14, 12, I don't know. We started having water battles. I mean, I can remember one in particular. It was an old two-story wood frame house, and they're downstairs waiting on me. And I just took a scrub bucket and put it in the bathtub, filled it with water, opened the upstairs window. They're right there, and I just dumped it on them. I mean, that's the kind of a relationship we had with our neighbors. This particular day, I'm going to a wedding. I got my suit, I got my tie on, I got my everything ready to go, and I walk out of the back door of the house, and man, did they get me. 
And I looked at my watch, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be late. Probably at that time, who knows, I probably didn't have anything else to put on. I jumped in my car, and I went to the church. And what do you think I did? I covered up what I didn't want people to see, right? I covered up what I didn't want them to see. It's exactly what the religion of Jesus' day was doing. And he destroyed it. He tore it down when he went to the cross. And he revealed to everybody involved the inward reality of what they were covering up. And it brings me to my bottom line, church, and it's this. True worship depends on an inward reality and not an outward fantasy. True worship of God, to really be his and in his presence, requires that something be happening inside. And not just that we project what we want people to see outwardly. Jesus tore it down when he flipped those tables. You've made my father's house. You've made it a den of thieves. What he was really saying, do you see what you've done with God? Do you see how much you've disrespected him? Do you see how much you've not worshipped him rightly? Do you see what you're doing with him? And he flipped it on end. And he showed him a better way. The disciples didn't get it until he rose from the dead. There's a reason for that. When Jesus came back to life, he brought life to those that followed him in a way that they could have never imagined. In church, that's what needs to happen to us. One person at a time. That inwardly, we finally become what God intended for us to be. And we stop putting on the coverings and the outward and all that stuff that isn't so real. And it only happens when, we see, when God sees us for who we are and we see God for who he truly is. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me?